Happy New Year, everybody. So this is our first episode of 2019 and our 11th episode called The Loss of Innocence, which we'll get to in just a moment talking to uh, Karina today about one of my stories that I have to share. But before we get there, I'm offering a number of exciting events this week and the rest of this month. This week, I have two of my new movement classes, Movement 109, happening this Thursday at 5.30 at Bar, Body, and Soul in New Windsor, and Friday at 6 p.m. at Beacon Yoga. And um, at Beacon Yoga, we're going to do a special Movement 109 class called Fire. So if you're feeling like you need something kind of lighting that flame for your new intention for the year, you're feeling sort of stuck, or maybe you just need to get rid of something, this will be a really special class that will move around and get that energy kind of going and get you going for this new year. So that'll be um, Friday at 6 p.m. at Beacon Yoga. And we'll also do some awesome things too on Thursday at Bar, Body, and Soul. Also, I am really interested this year to do a little bit of a tour. So if you're not in the Hudson Valley and you would love me to come to you in, uh, for Movement 109 or even and or yoga, I would love to um, come to you. So reach out and let me know where you're at and let's make it happen. If you have a studio, that a home studio that you would love to bring me to, I would be open to that. <laughs> so reach out and let me know because I'm looking at uh, a little kind of mini tour, teaching tour this summer and, and late spring. And um, this month we have, West Point is starting this Saturday. So if you are still interested in doing your 200-hour teacher training with me at West Point, we still have a spot or two open. This is really geared more towards, we're giving you the solid basics, the Yoga Alliance standards, but also a little bit more towards um, teaching to active duty. So we have cadets doing, uh, majority of this is are the cadets doing the training, and then we've opened it up to veterans and military spouses and anybody who's really interested in teaching to this community, this military community. So that's starting this Saturday. So you've got to sign up and reach out to me. You can reach out to me through the website nomadalwaysathome.com or you can email me directly at phoebe at nomadalwaysathome.com. And um, another teacher training that I'll be leading at Riverstone Yoga in Terrytown, that's starting next next week. That's next Thursday, January 17th. So that's a month intensive. If you have a month that you want to dive into it, uh, come on over. You can find out more about that teacher training over at riverstoneyoga.com. And I will be leading that one as well. So it's going to be a busy month. Oh, and for um, more movement classes, because movement one will be happening more throughout the winter in the Hudson Valley. If you want to find out more about that, that's also all of our new dates and new locations in the Hudson Valley is over at nomadalwaysathome.com. So with that said, let's dive into this episode, Loss of Innocence. All right. So hello, everyone. Um, today I'm here with Karina and Karina is one of our nomad teachers and um, she's going to talk with me a little bit today about my story. I'm calling it the loss of innocence. But before we get there, hi, Karina. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here. Of course. Anytime. Um, yeah. So do you want to share a little bit or 
try to remember why you're here. <laughs> why I'm here. <laughs> In Nomadland. Sure. So I think the first time... The first time I kind of engaged with Nomad was, um, I think it was the first time you did the 40 Days of Gratitude on Facebook. So I had been following Nomad because I knew Samantha and I knew um, other people who were involved. Um, And I was interested in getting involved. I didn't really know how or what that looked like. Um, And I think Samantha invited me to the 40 Days of Gratitude Facebook page and I was participating and I was loving it and then I came to your class and connected with you for a second or two. I think you came Uh, on your birthday. I did, you're right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then time passed. Yeah, I Uh, think the first time I really sat down and chatted with you was um, for Samantha's birthday. Yeah, it was in August. August. Yeah, so a whole bunch of time passed. So Samantha, um, you guys haven't met her formally yet on the podcast, but we have an interview coming up with her soon. But she's another senior teacher, and we'll share her story in that future podcast. But basically, it was her birthday, and she said to me, Karina needs to be a part of our nomad Mm -hmm. tribe. (laughs) Well, basically, I invited myself out with you guys. You guys we're going to somewhere to get dinner. Yeah. And um, I was there at the studio and I kind of wink, wink, can I come? (laughs) (laughs) Of course you can come. And then the rest is history. Mm -hmm. And so you've been um, on a lot of events of ours, but you also are helping us with the 300-hour teacher training, which we just finished up the last rounds. Yep. And you're also one of my best friends yep. now That's because of all that. Very true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, we're intermingled both professionally and personally. Yeah. So I'm so grateful. Me too. And I'm also because this story that I'm going to share today is kind of heavy mm-hmm. a bit. And I was like, who do I want to tell this story to and share and feel comfortable with yeah. as I sit here and talk about it? And I had actually told you a little bit about this. Yeah, you had you had shared so this I story thought, with Okay. Me. I feel mm-hmm. comfortable sharing. <laughs> yeah. So I again thank you for for letting me, you know, be here and, and talk to you about thank it. Thank you for trusting me with it. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um so we're recording it on today is what, January seventh? It is. It's Monday. And by yeah. the time they re- we release this, which will be tomorrow Uh, We're kind of in, this podcast is called The Space In Between, but we are in sort of, for me, a space in between today. I just finished up a training in the city Mm -hmm. um, with Veterans Yoga Project, which is an awesome organization. And it's a trauma training specifically for veterans. And so that was, you know, we'll go into my story later. Mm -hmm. um, Basically, my father suffered severe PTSD. He was 100% mentally disabled um, when he was diagnosed four years prior to his... Actually, I don't know how many years prior to his death, but um, fairly recently, you know, Mm -hmm. he kind of went in and out of um, rehab most of my life. Uh, they didn't have this diagnosis of PTSD, at least at the vet centers that he had gone to throughout okay. my, throughout his, you know, um, experience of coming back mm-hmm. from Vietnam. So it wasn't until much later. So, um, so this organization and doing this trauma training really brought up some of that stuff for me, yeah. and in a good way. You know, yeah. I was a little actually kind of nervous about it 
because I've unpacked a lot in the past six years um, since he passed away, but I was kind of a little nervous that it would just bring more stuff Yeah, up. you never know what's going to trigger what. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and but I, I did a good job in like pacing myself, mm-hmm. and there was an opportunity, you know, the um, Dan, Dr. Dan Libby, who was leading it, um, he showed a video and he told us prior, you know, if you don't want to see this, you can leave. So mm-hmm. I was like very mindful of giving myself these boundaries mm-hmm. that probably in the past I didn't. And then I would have to like, you know, do this downward spiral. Yeah. Did you choose to leave? I did. Okay. I chose to leave for that. Mm-hmm. And actually it's really interesting too, because Dr. Dan Libby, who is the founder of Veterans Yoga Project, mm-hmm. he was a clinical um, psychologist at the facility my father was treated oh. And I just am learning this in this past year. Yeah, in West Haven, Connecticut. So um, my father was diagnosed, I think he was actually arrested in 1998 or 99, somewhere. I wasn't in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And when he was in prison, because he was arrested for heroin, um, dealing heroin Mm -hmm. and also... um, with the abuse of heroin. Um, but they were, when he was in the facility, they said, I don't think you actually have a drug problem. I think you have a PTSD problem. Okay. And they sent him to West Haven, Connecticut. Okay. And he was there um, in um, inpatient for several months. He, they did, he did a whole program there. And then he was outpatient for years. Okay. So I don't think that they crossed paths, but it was just so wild to yeah. me that, you know, here's this organization that I really feel aligned with and the founder kind of founded it yeah. right there yeah. at the same time. That my doesn't feel was like there. an accident. Yeah. No, no, it's <laughs> definitely universe pointing mm-hmm. in direction. So anyways, so that was this past weekend and tomorrow is the anniversary of my father's death. Okay. It will be six years. So we're kind of in this space in between. Yeah. And I wanted to do something to sort of hold that space for myself and for him. And I thought there's a story I've been kind of holding on to for a very long time. And I think you, um, I told you a little bit about it. And I know I told only two other people. I might have told maybe one or two other people aside from that. But I have significant memories of sharing other people. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, I think I should just read this little story I wrote. Um, this is from, so I, two years ago, I was unpacking a lot of this emotional stuff and Mm -hmm. I wrote out my memoir and I remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was manically writing for, I think three months straight one fall. I just thought I had just gone through one, um, a breakup and I was just like, I I knew that a lot of the unpacking of that relationship um, was because of like the stuff I hadn't unpacked mm-hmm. with my past. So I was like, I need to get fix this. So I just manically wrote this memoir, and I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just share them, you know, on podcasts here and there. But this is one of them, um, and I'll just preface this was this was just uh, the summer that my my parents split up. My mom, okay. my mom left um, my father and I. And okay, yeah. Does it say uh, in there how old you were? I was um, I was eight. I was okay. I had just turned eight years old. Okay. So it was the end of my second grade, and this was the summer leading into my third grade. Okay. And the story is called Cleaning Day. <laughs> 
Should I begin? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was just dad and me. We were doing our best to make the best of it together. We continued our weekly Saturday rituals of cleaning the house together. I was in charge of dusting and vacuuming the stairs in the living room. Dad put on his favorite radio program, The Bama. A man with a very distinctive southern, slow-talking voice that shared stories about the music called the blues and what it meant to him, along with his own life stories of sorrows and heartbreak. Then Bama went, uh, would play these songs, these sad, scratchy songs on the scr scratchy albums by artists that had their own tales of the blues. They got deep into the waters of sorrow and bathed there for probably until they were well beyond being pruned up. These stories usually began with, my baby left me. Yeah, I could relate to that pain. My mama left me. Despite the sounds of the blues, it was a beautiful day. We had the doors wide open and the curtains drawn back to let all the light in and clear out the stagnant air of our very heavy heartbreak. It was my day to see mom, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave dad, and I didn't want to go with her. The music played loudly and the vacuum roared. I heard a faint ringing in the background over and over again. I knew it was mom. Dad didn't seem to hear it, so I, printed, so I pretended not to hear it too. Shortly after the phone stopped ringing, I saw mom's car pull up into my home and she began to walk up to the walkway and then to our door. In a split second, everything shifted. Suddenly, dad went down a rabbit hole and took all of us with him. As mom approached the door, uh, approached the open door, dad ran to it, slammed her, her arms and her legs several times to get the door shut and keep her out. She cried, Jay, it's me, Brenda. I'm here to see Phoebe. Jay, it's my day to see Phoebe. He screamed at her, said she was lying and said to leave. After moments of struggling and pushing, he managed to get her limbs out of the door, then slammed it closed and locked it, the deadbolt and the chain. He slid down the door and pressed his whole body weight against it to be sure she could not get in. He yelled at me to lay low while he ran to his room. I was huddled in the kitchen, the same corner mom and I crouched together in before, uh, that months before, on that Valentine's Day night with the broken potted plants he threw against the wall in a rage. I observed quietly. I was in shock and felt so disconnected, almost as if I wasn't in my body, but rather watching characters I barely knew in a movie. The next few moments were filled with even more chaos. Mom rang the doorbell over and over again and cried to see me while dad paced back and forth from the living room to the bedroom. He then told me to get ready, scooped up my eight-year-old body and ran, me over, ran with me over his shoulder out the back door, around the house and threw both of us into this car. He screeched down the driveway and mom ran to her car to follow us. I was now in the middle of a car chase between my two parents. At some point in the next town over in Gaithersburg, we lost her. 
as we crossed the busy intersection of Rockville Pike. I watched, I watched my mom's car disappear, getting smaller and smaller as I sat in the back seat of my dad's car. For the first time, I missed my mommy and wished I was with her in her car so she could drive me far away from this madness. I had no idea where we would be headed next. At some point, I lost track of time. We arrived at a familiar apartment complex. It was my dad's friend, Jim's place. Dad took deep breaths when he parked the car. When we walked into Jim's apartment, Dad handed him a gun and asked him to keep it safe and away from him so he wouldn't use it. He said he got really close to using it today. The rest of the afternoon was spent in, Jim, in Jim's place in a fog of pot smoke while they passed a bong and took hits back and forth while I watched TV and tried to find my own way out of this fog from the day's, ev the day's events. At that moment, and from then on, I vowed I would make sure Dad knew when Mom was coming over, and I would always go willfully with her, even if I didn't want to. Hmm. How does it feel reading that? Well, <laughs> I read it before you came over, and okay. I was bawling. Yeah. Um, and now I'm reading it and I'm just a little teary-eyed. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting because of the evolution of it. Um, it feels freeing yeah. in a lot of ways um, because it's a, it's a moment in time that I held on to for so many years. Yeah, and so did you, is it something that you would think about often and kind of replay the events in your mind or were you just do you think you were holding on to it in a more subconscious way it's interesting because I think I went through phases mm -hmm. I think that probably in my childhood I didn't think about it too much because mm -hmm. there were so many of those crazy yeah. chaotic moments and I mean we don't won't go into your story too much but I think you can connect on that level oh, of yeah. just like <laughs> <laughs> um of just, you know, kind of getting up and going, okay, what's today like, you know? Right. But I think in my 20s, I started to unpack a lot of this alone. You know, okay. I had a relationship that I ended up being married. The person was with, I ended up being married to. Um, and I replayed that memory over and over again. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even okay. tell my partner. And I think that Consciously, it was there. I was trying to, you know, deal with the trauma of that. Uh, and then I think it turned into more of an unconscious thing where I was making choices yeah. um, based on this kind of that imprint. Sure. And I think what really stuck with me was the shame that I felt was that okay. I really truly believed for so many years that I was the one who did this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had so much shame that I thought if the what ifs, of course, of first of all, of the what if of what if he did shoot my mom, right? right? That could have really, truly happened. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in a flashback. Mm -hmm. 
But I didn't know that. We didn't know what that was back well, then. Well, you were eight years old. You yeah. Yeah. You well, I was no, eight. Yeah, yeah. I was eight years old, but they also didn't know all of this. You right, know, right, right, right. Yeah. Scientifically. Okay. But at saying. least we knew. I mean, we didn't know the my family knowing he was in a flashback. But um, yeah, I, but yeah, I was eight years old. So I put a, a lot on this of like the responsibility of making sure mom knew yeah. or dad knew rather that mom was coming and you know that and I thought in my head for a while like I thought this I didn't want to be near my mom and I created this right. I created this and yeah I think that's unfortunately very natural you yeah know, for kids who don't you don't have context you don't know better you don't have somebody guiding you through any of that it was I mean yeah no yeah and Nobody talked about it. Yeah. You know, there were so many of these moments in my childhood where this would be like completely crazy. And yeah. dad didn't remember. I mean, I don't know okay. if he remembered or he felt guilty about it, but he never recognized it and say, whoa, shit hit the fan yeah. the other day. I'm really sorry. My mom never brought it up. You know, yeah. I don't know if she was ashamed of it too or scared or um, I don't know, you know, and... So there was no acknowledgement of it. Sure. So it was like, well, how That's am I going to... really confusing. Very yeah. confusing. <laughs> yeah, so something like that would happen, and then it would pass, and... And then it would just be like as if nothing had happened. Until the next time. Until the next yeah. time. And, yeah, I mean, you can probably relate in sure. some level to that. And it is, it's very confusing for a child to be like, oh, this is the norm, yeah. right? And there's no place to process it. I think I was in therapy then, but I don't even know if I said anything then because nobody had acknowledged it. So it was like, well, maybe that didn't happen right. or maybe this is nothing of significance. Right. And you don't know what other people's lives are like. So yeah. you, might, you might think There's this is just the way, this is just the way things are. Yeah. There was you like know? no point of reference. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so on so many levels, it was very confusing. And I think I definitely held on to this feeling of guilt and the shame of, um, you know, just the control that I thought that it was of mine. Yeah. Um, or well, the you lack felt of control like you're at the center of that, of, you know, series of events. And in some ways, in some ways you were, yeah. you were not the cause of them, but you were, um, you know, you were kind of the the reason that your mom was coming over at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, if I had, yeah, I was the cause of it to a certain extent because she wouldn't have come over at all. But I mean, I've processed it. Yeah. I, I've let yeah, this yeah. go, but yeah. uh, it's, it was, yeah, for many years I held on to this. I was the cause. I was, you know, not only because I was the center of it, like you said, but also I caused it because if I had just picked up that phone, you know, and or or went over and said, hi, mom, you know, like sure. I did it, you know, I had my own, mm -hmm. um, my own feelings of anger towards her, but I was like, oh crap, I can't even have those because if, because he overrode them with mm -hmm. this rage of his and, and I, <laughs> I've been in therapy for many years uh -huh. now and unpacking what anger is, what anger looks like. And I had this such a warped sense of what anger yeah. was because that's what I saw was rage. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can't be angry. And I yeah. never was able to process whatever that anger was of mine. So um, 
I was like, I even joke with my therapist. I'm like, I don't even know what angry is anymore. Cause I have this idea of what angry is, is just rage. Um, yeah. Yep. I can, I can relate to that <laughs> all too well. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. And then, and then it gets bypassed and that's not, that's not healthy either. Yeah. You know, that you, you know, I have the tendency to kind of jump to the other side of, you know, I, I feel this feeling and I kind of know how to navigate my way out of it and put it to the side and then, you know, move through it maybe too quickly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Know. And I think that's so, that's such a good point of like moving through it too quickly. Cause I mean, that like we both had to do that growing yeah. up. Like you yep. just had to get up and move through it because you don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, now that we're both adults and we're in control of our lives and the choices that we make, it's like now we have this space to actually process it. Yeah. But we're relearning that. Yeah. It's like we're rewiring ourselves yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Emotionally. Um, so, yeah. So it. So that moment I held on. God, I mean, I'm 41 now, mm-hmm. and the first time I actually told a human being this, this moment was three years ago. Okay. So I was what, 30, probably 38, Uh 39. So I held on to it for 30 years, not telling a soul. And, but how, and when I went, when my dad did pass away six years ago and I went through my divorce and seen, and I've talked about this in the first podcast, kind of my story of, Mm -hmm. of that. And I'll probably share more another time, but you know, that like was this catalyst to unpack stuff, you know, and to really look at how these moments in time and the choices that I made to, um, really affected, you know the person that I chose to get married to, mm-hmm. the choices that I made in that marriage, the, you know, um, and et cetera, all of that. Yeah. So the, the, fa- the day, uh, my father's death really was this catalyst to, to all of it. Yeah. So, um, so you had never spoken about it with your mom? No. Okay. And, you know, when my father came back, so my dad wasn't in my life for about 18 years. Mm-hmm. So he disappeared. I moved out when I was... 15, I think. Okay. So I lived with him from the, that summer when I was eight to 15. Okay. Um, he was in and out of rehab during um, the, like the last couple of years. He had a, had a heart attack because he was doing crack and nobody knew that at the time. Mm-hmm. They just thought that he was having a heart attack for, you know, whatever reasons. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, but he was, you know, keeping out his drug abuse on the down okay. low. And you were still living with him. I was still living okay. with him. And he, I did know he had a drinking problem and that he spoked pot, okay. but yeah. That's it. That's all you That's know. all I know. Yeah. But so, but he was kind of in this downward spiral the last few years I lived with him um, with drugs. And so he was leaving me for periods of time, you know, nights at a time by okay. myself. And I was old enough then, you know, I was in high school then that I could get, you know, myself to school and feed yeah. myself, but, and I, there were some times I was like, oh, cool. I don't have to worry about of dad. Course, yeah. You know, I'm a teenager. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. I get to be on my own. But there was like, what the hell? We don't have any food in the fridge yeah. or, you know. And um, were you in touch with your mom during that point? Yeah. I would see her every other weekend. And I think I clued her in here and there. Again, I mean, some stuff is a lot, it's kind of fuzzy. Yeah, of course. But I mean, I, 
basically I got to this point when I was 15 where I was just like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. And it was, he was turning into like a whole, I mean, he had been bad for now I'm understanding the PTSD, but the drugs was like making it even worse. Yeah. So he was in and out of rehab and disappearing and more, more moments of rage. And he was just turning into a person, a monster. I was seeing more yeah. of the monster than rather than mm-hmm. the, the loving, sweet person that he really was most of the time. So I actually ended up going to live with my grandmother for a few months in Texas just to like clear the slate, clean the slate. And that was his mom or your mom's mom? My mom's mom. Okay. And and then I came back. My mom had moved to my school district and then I came back and I lived with her. But when I came back, he was gone. He had disappeared. I think he was evicted from our place. We had lost our house actually. And then we moved into like a little part, like a little townhouse. And then he got evicted from that. So... He was on a downward spiral. You know, he, I thought he had re- hit rock bottom when I lived with him, right. but he continued down, down, down. Okay. And so. And by disappeared, you mean nobody knew where he was? Um, I think his parents knew, but okay. I wasn't in the best, like I didn't talk to them that okay. much. Um, and they would kind of, I was like the black sheep. They didn't, <laughs> which is crazy because <laughs> I was a really good kid, but. My parents, like, they married, you know, they had me out of wedlock. Okay. And it was just like, whatever. I was the bastard's kid, <laughs> uh-huh, basically. Uh-huh. So I wasn't, I didn't have the best relationship with them. So, but they would hear, tell me here and there, like, that he was alive. That was a kind of like the need to know information. Okay. So, but I knew he was somewhat alive, and but I didn't know if he was homeless. I didn't sure. know if he was in the uh, um, uh, jail. I did only know one time when I was in college when he was uh, in, he had another heart attack. And so they actually contacted me and my mom was living in the same town as him or them. And so I went home to hopefully see him, but I ended up not seeing him. Okay. And he asked me for money. Oh. Yeah. So he got out of the hospital and he asked me for money and I was like, no. How did he contact you? I think I caught, I think my grandparents gave me his phone number. Okay. They were like, he just got out of the hospital. Here's mm-hmm. his number. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But he he called me back and he was like, oh, I can't see you, but hey, can you inspire me some money? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm in felt really fucking icky. college. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't seen you since the last time when I left you when I was 15. So yeah. I didn't. I said, no, I'm sorry, but here's a phone number for rehab. And wow, he, good for you. Yeah, you I know? found out and I was like, here's this phone yeah. number for rehab. And what I came to find out was he actually got arrested that year and he was thrown into jail. Okay. And so I think that was the best case scenario for him because that's when he started his road to recovery. Okay. So, yeah, so there was, that's like 18 years he was in, in and out of rehab and then he was, and then this one stuck when he got to Connecticut and um, and then he contacted me when I was in my 30s. And I think it was like 32. I think so. It was 2009. And we, um, 
but when he came back, he was still like, he was rehabilitated as much as he could be. He was still considered a hundred percent mentally disabled by the okay. better. What does that, what does that mean exactly? So there's lots of different criteria and actually I learned a lot about this this yeah. weekend, but there's a lot of different criteria that they, that, um, a patient has to meet to, cons- to be considered, you know, having PTSD. So okay. they look at like the different kinds of thoughts, the different kinds of, um, um, like inter like interactions with people too mm-hmm. and but um just a lot of like flashbacks and nightmares they look at all of the different symptoms okay. and so he rated to have all of the symptoms I, I guess I don't I have a like a huge okay. list I have so a, someone could be less than a hundred yeah percent so they, basically yeah. the government says that you're a hundred percent disabled so that you can get disability I see. so he he got that so, so he, he was as, as bad as it could Yeah, he was not able to work because he did not have the mental capacity or the emotional capacity to work. Okay. So um, he got a check every month, which I'm so grateful for because, you know, he got a little, you know, he was able to just go to meetings. You know, he was in AA and he had a nice little community there and he was like you know, driving his friends to work who didn't have cars. Okay. He was really doing a lot of community service his last years. Yeah. It was really lovely to see yeah. his community of friends who were, he surrounded himself with and that he supported and they supported him. It was such a, such a gift. But when he came back, he was, he was still not there, you know, like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways where he could say, I'm sorry. I don't right. even know if he had recollection of some of the, the memories. And I didn't, I didn't know if I would, it was a, my place to say, hey, you know, those things yeah. that really messed me up. Well, let's yeah. unpack that. So I never did that. I never okay. had that with him. And so I just enjoyed the time that I had with mm-hmm. him. And so to answer your question, because that was a long <laughs> version to get to your answer. I didn't say anything to my mom either. Okay. My mom and I, after my dad's death, we did start to unpack a lot of our own stuff. And I had a good relationship with her, but we hadn't like, it was like good for the present, but we hadn't really like dealt with the past. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, yeah. That yeah. Did it feel kind of like surfacey with her? Um, did it feel like a, like a deep connection, deep bond? Yeah. We have a deep bond. Yeah. I think it's like an unspoken bond, but yeah. I felt like, okay, we have this unspoken bond, but now we need to just talk about it. Yeah. We got to that point yeah. after he died. And she was open to that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it took us a time because, okay. I mean, it was a lot for her, too. Of course. You know, I know she probably had a lot of guilt and shame leaving yeah. me with him. Yeah. And just the own her own, like, low self-esteem because mm-hmm. he was abusive, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, emotionally and physically abusive to her. So she was like dealing with her own stuff and then to deal with like being a mom. Yeah. Like the, as I get older, I realize I can, I can be more compassionate because I'm like, holy crap, I don't know how I would be at that age. You know, now that I'm 30 something, you know, I can't even imagine having a child, let alone being with this man and let alone, you know, like I couldn't even fathom it. So layers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been able to see from that side a lot, um, with more compassion, but you know, the first person that I told, though, was three years ago. So it was still like, oh, I need to talk to my mom about this stuff. But I, I, had, I was holding a lot of resentment okay. before I actually did. But um, I'm trying to remember why. So I had 
a friend. He was one of my very closest friends, and mm-hmm. actually we ended up being together for a couple years af- right after this. And I don't know. He um, he is also he's presently in the Navy mm-hmm. right now, and so we connected a lot on you know my father's past and kind of his stories because he's done two tours to um, the Middle East okay. and, and he was deployed. Um, so uh, we just just naturally like connected on a lot. And there was just one day we were at the coffee shop here at Bank Square. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I said, I just blurted out that, that what I just read, that story. I just was like, okay, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. It just came out. It just came out. And it was like, we weren't even talking about this stuff. And I just told him and he looked at me and he like he looks at me and he had these huge tears in his eyes and he was just like, I'm sorry. (laughs) And it was the first time somebody said, I'm sorry to me. Like he never, no one had ever said sorry about any of that period of my Mm -hmm. life. And he said, I'm sorry about that one specific moment. I had never told anybody and it was so freeing to me. And I was just like, oh, Okay. Yeah. And this isn't mine to bear anymore. And that he gave me the strength to just say I'm sorry to me and to be, and I was acknowledged. And I don't know, it gave me the strength to then talk to my mom. And I think it wasn't until another year later, I was hoping she was actually going to donate some money to Nomad. And she gave it to me at Christmas mm-hmm. and I felt really guilty about it. <laughs> okay. And I was like, why am I feeling guilty yeah. about this? And, and I, and it, this memory came up again of like mm-hmm. this moment. And I was like, oh my God, I still have guilt for like being mad at her then. Yeah. And I cried a little bit and then she, I basically, I shared this, you know, do you remember this time? Okay. And I didn't even know if she knew that there was a gun involved or if he had, a, if she, if she knew she, he had a gun. Did she? She knew that he had a gun. Okay. Um, Cause they had, she, she wasn't happy about it when they were together. Okay. He hid it in a closet, but so she was aware of it, but she didn't ever think that he would attempt to use it or mm-hmm. anything. So um, yeah. So that's when we really started to unpack okay. stuff. And it's been really freeing to have that, you know, the past few years. Yeah. Do you think that um, telling telling the story for the first time, even though it kind of happened by accident, do you think that it made it feel almost more real to you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember playing it over and over yeah. in, in my 20s and, and being like, maybe that, I don't even know. Yeah. You know? And then having somebody acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, this person um, have him acknowledge me in that moment if it did it made it real like oh I brought somebody else into yeah. it now and then to say it to next to say it to my mom and who was a witness who was there mm-hmm. and she acknowledged it too was like oh it did happen <laughs> you know because there was it was like oh crap maybe that maybe I just made it up I don't know right right it's yeah you know memory's a funny thing <laughs> so um 
you know, and there, and, and then realizing like, wow, I have my own PTSD. I did it. Yeah. Now that I'm learning more about the past year or so, I'm learning more about what PTSD is and how it looks on different people. Mm -hmm. Cause I just had this one picture of my father's PTSD and what that looks like. And I'm realizing, and I thought anybody who says I have PTSD, I'm like, oh God, they're going to go into rage. They're going to like become abusive. Mm -hmm. And so I had this one picture of it. And now I'm realizing, oh shit, I'm a victim of right. PTSD. Like I'm a PTSD victim. Yeah, like, person just like too. anything, it can manifest differently. Yeah. yeah, and so and I have it, you know, another. And now yeah. I'm seeing like the different criteria of it as I'm learning from Veterans Yoga Project. So, I'm like ah, so it's been very freeing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it was scary that moment of sharing with people, and you know, being by the time like I just shared it with you recently too, mm-hmm. and like I said, I might have told one or maybe two people in this time frame. But yeah. by the time I shared it with you, it was like, oh, so this happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was just that space, you know, the space that you hold for me and hopefully I hold for you too. It's absolutely <laughs> <laughs> it's being able to go, oh, it's not like it is a big deal, but at the same time, it's not a big deal. Like, well, we all have our we all have our stuff, right? And mm-hmm. and to have it be acknowledged without without somebody, you know, sometimes it doesn't it doesn't feel good to have somebody feel pity for you or yeah. you know have a, an exaggerated reaction that makes you almost it, it can sometimes feel almost condescending. Yeah, that is I, so true. Like how this how the person's holds the space can be very powerful. Yeah. And if they do, they just kind of, and we talked about this too this weekend, it's just like, if you have to like all of a sudden fix that person, yeah. like here's a tissue or yeah. let me give you a hug or, yeah. you know, try to like put a bandaid on it really yeah. quick or, or like, yeah, kind of imprint whatever their story yeah. is on it too. Oh my God, you've had such a hard life. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, there's you judgment. Yeah. yeah, there's like, even though they're sympathizing with, there's yeah. some sort of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think what it means to hold space, at least for me, is just to to be able to be with a person in a very loving, but also completely neutral way and that they are experiencing whatever they're experiencing and and you don't yeah. have to you don't have to change it you don't have to alter it you don't have to fix it yeah you know you don't have to back away from it yeah I and something that you you always whenever like we have our little text things and we yeah. both have like our days uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I always appreciate about you is like before you even say something you're like how do you feel about that yeah you know because it's probably you're also gauging and it's a text. It's like, well, are you happy about that? Are you upset <laughs> about it? Like, let me see how, where you're at before I react. But it is, it's like you're holding that space to be like, well, that's that's the shit that you just went through. How do you feel about yeah. it? Instead of like, oh my God, that's so horrible. Ah, you know? Right. Or you Which, should do this or you should do that. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, and, try yeah. To, like, mm-hmm. and I just greatly appreciate yeah. that. And yeah. it's something that I carry with me too if, if somebody's holding you know telling me you know something of importance to them well how does that how do you feel about yeah. it first and you do you do the absolute oh, same thanks. for me yeah myself <laughs> on the back a little yeah I think holding space is really important and I I'm hoping that this podcast is some space holder for 
the people who are on here, like you'll, I'm sure at some point will come on too and mm-hmm. maybe share a little bit more about your, your story, but, and, but the people who are listening to of hearing the space that we're, you know, holding for our stories, but kind of that space that they can reflect on their own, um, their own space of whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being able to do that for one's self, right. is something that I have, I think only recently gotten better at doing in that, you know, I, I might have an experience, um, or an emotion or a feeling or a memory and, and being able to let myself be in that again, without that need to fix or run from or judge or call it good or call it bad, Yeah, you know, just to be able to, to be with it. And, and even if it, even if it doesn't feel great, like to be yeah. kind to myself anyway, do you, you mind know. sharing what that looks like for you? Like that's what does that kind of look like in the space? Yeah, I mean what that looks like for me often has a lot to do with um kind of my internal dialogue, mm-hmm. right? And so when something does come up, um I used to jump to so much judgment of myself and you mm-hmm. shouldn't be feeling this way or you know, I'll automatically, you know, whether it was feeling ashamed or feeling guilty or feeling like an idiot or whatever it might be, using that kind of language back at myself, right? Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You're so stupid or, you know, whatever it might be and and making it all that much worse for myself. Um, And so, yeah, through practice and through recognizing what I was doing and, um, you know, through little, little brief meditation practices Mm -hmm. that I do regularly throughout my days now, um, I'm able to kind of see when that stuff starts, when I start to put that judgment on myself and I'm able to stop it in its tracks and say, no, 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 remember, right, the the self-love. And, Mm. um, you know, I've had instances recently where I have given myself little pats on the back because I can remember a time when I would have judged myself so harshly for something small, something silly. Um, And I had a moment recently where I, I... my internal dialogue went, I love you anyway, Karina. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Good. And it felt so, it just felt so sweet and so soft. Yeah. And I, through, you know, through that realized what a contrast, you know, it yeah. is through how I, how I treat myself, just my, my internal conversations. Yeah. And that's so interesting to me because I don't see you as that person at all like how you treat your friends. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, I've never heard you say that to any of your friends or about any of your friends. Say what? So, like, just talk negatively, right? So, but you talk so negative, you have in the past, I'll say. Oh, yeah. Um, So negatively, it's like, wow, the things that we say to ourselves that we wouldn't even, like, mutter to other people. Wow. What a, you know, and I'm saying that for myself, too, because I did, I had a lot of, I guess, negative self-talk because of a lot, because of this moment. I put a lot in heaviness in this moment of like why I need to like self-sabotage myself or like why I don't deserve things because you did this, you know, and that would be the talk that I would come to a lot in my mind too. 
and like, well, you don't really deserve this Phoebe, you know, for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I would never think to say that to any of the people that I love. Right. So why do we say it to ourselves? Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. The, the why I have not figured out yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I also used to assume, you know, that others were judging me as harshly as I was judging mm -hmm. myself. And um, yeah, they're not. No, they're not. Because <laughs> they're, you know they're what? caught they're up having, in their own stuff. Exactly. Yeah. They're having their own freaking stories yep. in their own head. And that's... Yep. Oh God, if we could all just realize that and be like, let's get rid of that one voice yep. and just like shoot the shit together. And you know what? If someone is judging you, that's not your business or your problem. And you know what? Mm -hmm. You don't want them in your life anyways, because mm -hmm. no, I'm good. Yeah. 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 I forget who, that some quote that I came across that has, you know, stuck with me is, you know, just talk to yourself like you would someone you love. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that has been a huge part of my practice is just learning to actually do that. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I use that as a theme for one of the retreats a few years ago in Mexico. Mm -hmm. I remember my mom and my grandma were there and it was mm -hmm. called simplify your life. And mm -hmm. I would say that every class because my grandmother is the most beautiful creature yeah. in the world, but she's so hard on herself. She'll always say, oh, well, I can't do this or I can't do that and yeah. look at this. And she's just, but she doesn't judge any of us in mm -hmm. our family. You know, she's just like the prime example. It's funny because we all have this internal dialogue. She's so outward about it. Yeah. And you're looking at her and you're like, she, at the time she was like probably 80, 283 in Mexico doing <laughs> this hike, you know, with like, <laughs> 20, 30s, 40-year-olds. And not know? realizing how amazing that and is. And not, yes. Yeah. And, but she's like, oh no, I can't do that. I'm like, grandma, you're doing it right now. <laughs> and so it really like, it was my intention to do it for the whole for the whole group and for yeah. the theme of it. But I was really like, and grandma, listen to it and talk to it <laughs> as if you were talking to your best friend. Um, but it is that, that idea of like, what would you say to your best friend here? And, yeah. and I love that you said, and I love you too, Karina. Yeah. I love you anyway. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. what we would say, right? Yeah. Like you, oh, you're so silly. You yeah. did this stupid thing, but I love you anyway. Or Hey, it's no big deal. Yeah. Like you're making it, you're making you're it into a bigger deal than it needs to yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we always, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. Thank you for saying that because yeah. it is, it's so, we're so hard on ourselves and that's kind of bringing me to my intention too yeah. for this year. Uh, I've shared that with you. My, mm -hmm. my mantra for the year is move towards joy, but I also want to have like another like comma or <laughs> another, another one is move with joy, right? Oh, so move with okay. joy towards joy because I don't want it to feel like this thing that I'm going right. to reach for. Right. It's already with me. Right. Um, but it being already with me is just going to create even more of yeah. it, right? Yeah. More of that abundance like of that. joy. So um, yeah, that's my like amendum to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. And because, yeah, it was, it was really... Oh, and the other thing that I wanted to say is... Um, this weekend before I went to the training, I took another, I took a class and, um, the theme that I was hearing and it was just in, in light, it was really aligning. It was like the universe saying your, your intention for this year. Yeah. Let's, let's remind you of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I kept hearing over the weekend, you know, that recovery isn't punishment. Okay. 
And what that felt to me was I had been doing so much of this work the past six years. I mean, I've been working my whole life, but because of the catalyst of my father dying mm-hmm. and the downward spiral of like the deconstruction of my life at right after that, I was like, let me get my shit together and uh-huh. let me recover from all of this. And it has, it's been like, I've been working so hard yeah. and it's sort of become a life sentence. It was imprisoning me yeah. in a lot of ways where I was like, I have to get this work. Oh, you know, when I go into a relationship, this is a red flag. This is a red right. flag. You're not, you know, meeting these standards because I don't want to repeat patterns again. And it was like yeah. becoming this life sentence that was imprisoning You're me. You're protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was, but... But there wasn't. But there was also like more space for the joy to seep in. Yeah. I, and I don't want to say like I don't want to make it sound like I've just been in hell for the. <laughs> there have been a lot of moments of joy, but I think that I was not feeling safe in those moments yeah. of joy. Like I, I would get lost in them, and then I was like, oh no. Wait, I'm in recovery. Right. You know, like wait, I yeah. just make sure I'm okay. It sounds like you almost didn't. Um you almost didn't trust yourself yeah. in some ways. Oh, no, I definitely didn't because I was like, well, I got in my, this mess before. Yeah. But remembering that it wasn't all bad. Right. You know, the times with my father, it wasn't all bad. Yeah. He was a really amazing person. My mom had to have left me with this person. Um, I know she loves me. She's still in my life. She didn't leave me with this man because he was a monster. Right. You know, she left me because she really thought that he would do the best he could and he was a really good person. Yeah. And so, and she didn't fully understand what was going on with him. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing yeah. we'll unpack another time. But I have to believe that it was in her heart because mm-hmm. she knew. And there were good moments, mm-hmm. you know. And there were good moments in my marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, there was... There was a lot of joy in my marriage. It was, you know, but I was upset because I saw so many of the patterns yeah. of my childhood repeated in the marriage uh-huh. that I overlooked, mm-hmm. that I looked the other way. And even though I was hyper vigilant in a lot of ways, I was like, oh, I notice all these things, but he's the only person that is in my life that I can kind of respond, right. you know, because in a lot of ways he was my rock, mm-hmm. um, even though he wasn't. Uh, but I had this idea he was being my rock. So I was like, I'm hyper vigilant about all these different things that I see that are red flags, yeah. but I looked the other way because I needed to lean on him. Right. And so I, I guess the, like when I was going back into relationship with um, one person in particular that I'm thinking of is I was just like, I, as soon as I got, lost in that joy. I was like, yeah. but wait, you know, I you're afraid that myself. you would overlook all the, all yeah. the other stuff. Yeah. yeah I didn't trust yeah. myself. Yeah. So that's why I'm moving yeah. with joy towards joy because yeah. I have got this. I know I'm resilient. Yeah. I'm 41 years old. I'm going to be 42 this year. Yay. I'm a pretty awesome human being. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and like in the midst of all this, mm-hmm. we built Nomad, you know, which is a pretty amazing, it's just amazing in itself that I was able to do that, but that it's a beautiful um, tribe that is thriving in a lot of ways. And yeah. I mean, I am so grateful for you and Samantha and Juan Carlos and all of the new nomad teachers we've created, you know, come together in our tr- teacher training. You do the past amazing year. work. And 
you know, from the outside, I think I've told you this before, it's always hard to see these things from inside of ourselves, but you are very inspiring. Oh, yeah. Thanks. To so many people. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You are, I think at this point, you know that you're solid in yourself and that, you know, you can, you can trust your own instincts and you don't have to, you don't have to fear. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the key fear yeah. is that I was, I had so much fear yeah. and the fear was becoming this punishment and it was imprisoning me. And yeah. thank you uh, yeah. for reminding me that, yeah, I am, I'm owning it. Yes, I'm inspiring. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and God, if I, like a, even like a couple months ago, if I could say that to me, like how egotistical of that, right? if, you know, like there's that, that negative <laughs> mm-hmm. talk and okay, I'm going to accept that. You just gave me a nice compliment. Yes, Thank you, Karina. <laughs> I'm going to accept that. And then my inner voice is also going to say, yeah, you are inspiring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and I will take the credit, but I also will give it to you guys too, because you always inspire me, you know, having a tribe that I can rely on yeah. and, and who we just, every time we connect together, you know, individually, but also collectively, mm-hmm. I mean, magic always happens and I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, that's what's so beautiful about our stuff. We don't have a business plan where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, and this, uh, you know, and then we're going to, you know, hit off these bullet points mm-hmm. and we're going to hit off these sales, you know, for this quarter. We're just like, well, how can we create magic this, this yep. year? Yeah. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know that I'm driving it, but yep. I need co-pilots and you guys are the most amazing co-pilots and we just continue to build and grow and it ebb and flows and, and there's that freedom we all have within that, that we can ebb and flow together. And it keeps organically kind of evolving. Yeah. It's, it is, it's magical and it's really, it's a beautiful thing to watch and, and something that I have really gained from working with you is the ability to, um, feel more excited and curious about the fact that we don't know what's going to happen next <laughs> yeah. rather than, you know, what I have a tendency to feel, which is anxiety and fear and I don't yeah. have a plan and I need a plan and, you know, plans are great, but guess what? They very rarely um, pan out exactly as we expect them to. Yeah. So to, yeah, to become comfortable and even more than comfortable, um, you know, friendly with yeah. the, the unknown and the process and the change and yeah. all of that. Yes. Curious. Yeah. Um, the gift, I don't know if you saw the 300 hour, I know, what did they give you? They, we have our 300 hour grads mm-hmm. gave us, uh, archetype cards yeah. that Becca Starr made, who is also a guest teacher for our training. And the one that I don't know if you saw, but they gave me the seeker ah. which is, and it says, what are you curious about? And I was like, oh, they know me so well. <laughs> <laughs> I believe mine was the priestess. Oh, that's right. I don't remember what the, what the sub yeah. title was or the yeah. question. I just remember yours had the wings. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she is a little fairy. She <laughs> just looks like she's going to fly away. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were spot on in what, yeah. and the gift that they, yeah. they got us, but. Yeah, curiosity. I think that's the opposite of fear. Mm-hmm. Is cur- I mean, I think people think fear and love, but I think it's curiosity. I think so too. Because when we're fearful, we already have these 
like ideas of what could happen or what couldn't happen. We kind of prescript what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And the fear comes from, yeah, having an expectation and and an attachment to that outcome. Yeah. And if it doesn't go that outcome, then... God forbid. Then what? Yeah, then yeah, what? Everything falls apart. Yeah. But if we can lean in with curiosity, mm-hmm. like you said, and, oh, it's actually going to end up... I mean, I've thought of so many times when I I had this intention of what it was going to be, mm-hmm. and I had then the expectation of what it was going to look like, and I got there, and I got probably exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. There, I got a lot of things at the end of my marriage, like the house and the job, and I got everything that I asked for. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, this still still doesn't feel right, right? But then I've had so many more amazing experiences where I'm like, I don't know what the hell. Mm-hmm. I have an idea that I want to do a teacher training, sure. for instance. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, we have this amazing curriculum and we had like guest teachers float in and out. And, yep. and I was like, oh my God, this was not what I thought it was going to be at right. all, but it's so much better, yeah. right? So we leave that space mm-hmm. for the curiosity, our own curiosity for like the universe to put in like the magic fairy dust. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We leave our lives open for possibility, possibility. rather than, yeah. Controlling it. We work toward one specific goal with tunnel vision. We're blind to yeah. all of the possibilities that are knocking on our door. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of bring it back to PTSD, I mean, that's one of the things of PTSD is that, you know, a traumatic event, it's, you know, it wasn't predictable. You don't have control of it. Yeah. And so I think that when you have gone through something like that, you want to control, you want yep. to cr- make sure everything is predictable and yep. feel safe. And so that's kind of where, unfortunately, that fear kind of exacerbates yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it is, it's like this weird space for people who have dealt with trauma. It's like they want something safe and predictable and, and be able to control. And so many people have dealt with trauma. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, we're living. I would say most. uh, Yeah. Unfortunately Mm. we are. And so I think this space, I mean, that's what we talked a lot about this weekend was just being able to hold a really safe container. And I think that, and it sounds like I'm going to just go on a limb. It sounds like Nomad created that space for you. Like you said, and go, Oh, you know, it wasn't a physical container, but we hold this space for you. And you're like, oh, it's okay not to have a plan. Yeah. And it was you also know. seeing seeing the example of, yeah, example how, of it. Yeah. How you're able to embrace. Okay. You know? yeah. 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 And that took, that took the work yeah. for me too. Cause I was like, oh shit, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if I feel safe right mm-hmm. now. But now, I mean, it's been four years of Nomad Mm -hmm. and it does, it ebbs and flows and it changes. And I don't know what I'm doing after April. You know, I have Mm -hmm. two teacher trainings. We're ending in April. I have no idea. We're going to Spain. We're going to Spain. That's right. We (laughs) talked about it afterwards. We're going to Spain. And so that's going to happen. Let's end on that. Okay. (laughs) Anything else? Anything else? No, this has been, this has been... Wonderful. It's Thank been kind you. of fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were saying you were a little nervous before. And I yeah. Just... You know, there I go with my control and my need for a plan. Um, yeah. The more I practice not having a plan, the more I'm reminded that it's just fine. Yeah. It's just yep. us talking with headsets on. Yeah. Like, this is what we would be doing, like, exactly. if we weren't recording yep. ourselves. So, <laughs> well, thank you for going on a limb and 
being curious with me and letting me also share my story. It was it means a lot. Of course. I, yeah, to be yeah. able to sit here with somebody that I care about and love yeah. and share. Well, thank you for sharing it and for doing all that you do. I know Thanks. that you are impacting many more people than you might know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> as you as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Okay.